I'm Scott Kerr, and you're listening to Facing the Giants, a podcast where I speak to today's luxury entrepreneurs about taking on the Goliaths of the industry. Today, I'm speaking with Veronique Gabay, CEO and founder of her namesake fragrance brand, Veronique Gabay. Launched in 2019, Veronique Gabay's scents are inspired by her childhood memories on the French Riviera. Veronique has 25 plus years of experience in the worlds of luxury, fashion, beauty, and fragrance, which gives her tremendous success as a brand builder. With the knowledge she gained from working with huge brands such as L'Oreal, Vera Wang, and Giorgio Armani, she became an integral part of the development of their fragrance fields. Welcome, Veronique. Thank you, Scott. I'm so happy to be with you. I'm so thrilled that you could join me. So, you know, you served over 15 years as president at several luxury brands like Estee Lauder and Vera Wang Group, and you left to launch your eponymous brand in the fall of 2019. Can you talk a little bit about your tenure at both those brands? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the reality is that, uh, you know, I've been working all my life in uh, the beauty industry and more particularly in the fragrance category. And working is not really a good word for it because yes, it was work, but it was always, always a passion and always something that uh, has given me an enormous amount of joy. So I, I was lucky enough that that my work was also, if you will, what I love to do. And uh, yes, I was at the Estee Lauder companies. And before that, I was at, as at LVMH. And before that, I was at L'Oreal. So all of my career was in big corporation in the category. And, um, and uh, at the Estee Lauder companies, basically, I ended up being the global president for the um, group uh, that would handle all of the fragrance brand and a couple of indie brand within uh, the corporation. So when I was at L'Oréal, I would imagine you you probably know that fragrance because it has been very successful. Um, you know, I was in charge of the Giorgio Armani perfumes, and right. so I launched a perfume called Aqua di Gioferman. Wow, that's that's uh, that's a legendary uh, brand. <laughs> yeah, and and you know it's funny because I was quite young when uh, when I developed it, and I did it again out of passion, out of respect for that beautiful brand, and trying to translate the value system of the brand into the fragrance category. So it was a fantastic journey. Um, then, you know, when I moved on to LVMH, you know, I was in charge of the Guerlain uh, brand, which is mm -hmm. this absolutely amazing historic brand. And the whole uh, deal there was like, how do we uh, bring in into the fold a new consumer, a younger consumer, so I tried to bridge um, the tradition of Guerlain together with a more youthful approach to perfumery. And so we took inspiration of, on the very first uh, perfume done by Guerlain, which is Eau Imperiale. It was an eau de cologne done for uh, Princess, uh, actually I should say Empress Eugenie mm -hmm. uh, in the late um, 1800. And we we basically took uh, inspiration from it and created this beautiful collection called Aqua Allegorias, um, which is a fabulous collection of fragrances in uh, the Guerlain uh, portfolio, which allowed Guerlain to really reach out to a younger consumer to expand into other geographies like Asia, for example, and really was influential in the development of the brand, uh, you know, uh, outside of the 
core historical um, portfolio. Um, and then, you know, when I was at the Estee Lauder companies, I think that, uh, you know, my role was, of course, a creative role and helping build brands into the category. And I did so with many brands like Donna Karen, Michael Kors, Tory Burch, Tommy Hilfiger, many, many, many more. But I think also the other part of my role was to um, revisit um, the architecture of the business of fragrance within the Estee Lauder companies and, and uh, you know, um, design, if you will, a strategic path uh, for growth, but growth that would correspond the value system of the company. So <clears throat> how has the fragrance business changed? Well, you know, it, it was uh, built until, um, you know, the work that we've done um, very traditionally with a, you know, mix of, of brands that would belong to the uh, iconic historic brands within the portfolio and also under license with uh, many designers. So the whole work there was to a financially try to improve, if you will, the performance of that of that portfolio, but at the same time, move it towards what the future uh, could look like for um, a, a, a company that has been so dedicated to luxury and high end. And so the whole idea there was to reduce, if you will, the dependency on brands that would not necessarily uh, fit the, the equation of high-end luxury and service model, a high-touch model, and replace some of those brands with brands that are more into that uh, higher end of the market, and then ultimately go into what I call the niche uh, fragrance uh, line, and we organize the acquisition of a few niche brands within the portfolio that really transformed um, the uh, architecture of, of, of that business. So do you think the consumer has also changed and their relationship with fragrances over the years? Yes. And there was different um, moment, if you will. Um, I think fragrance has always been part of consumers' life. You know, they love it. I don't know if you uh, realize, but, um, you know, in the U.S., probably it, it was a little bit less embedded in daily life as mm -hmm. it was in Europe. In Europe, if you will, fragrance has been part of life. Perfume has been part of life since the 16th century. Okay. Right. Um, in the U.S., not so much. And so I would say that the starting point of the relationship with perfume, at least in a broader sense of the term, started after World War II, when the GI would come back from Europe, bringing back in their luggage, a couple of bottles of perfumes for their wives and girlfriends. So then from there, if you will, the relationship started, but for the American public, fragrance was always a bit something that you would use for special occasion, okay? You have a date, you put a little perfume. You have an interview, you put a little perfume. Uh, it was never really what existed in Europe where um, fragrance is part of your daily routine. Would you be a man, a woman, even child, a child in some part of Europe? You use perfume all the time. That was not the case here. Um, so basically, the biggest shift that I have seen um, within the last couple of years is what happened during COVID, because um, during COVID, the American 
consumer, the American public, suddenly realized that perfume is a fantastic way to give you a small moment of joy. Mm -hmm. And you spray a little perfume and boom, you feel a little better. You have a smile on your face. And suddenly the American people started to recognize that perfume is something you can do for yourself and not necessarily for the outside world. And that, I think, has triggered an enormous amount of growth in um, the U.S. market. Now, what you have also is different segment in the U.S. markets, right? You have what we call designer perfume, you have what we call celebrity perfume. And I think another big trend that happened in the US is at the same time, the realization of this is for me happened at the same time, and maybe a few years earlier, there was a realization of, I want authenticity, I want quality, I want to understand the craft. And so like every where else in the world the American public started to shift towards brands that would offer that commitment to the craft, that would offer that authenticity to the product, that would offer that exquisite quality. And so you saw the development of what we call the niche market, which is today driving the growth. So what was the opportunity that you saw in the fragrance market that motivated you to pivot off and launch your own fragrance brand in a very saturated market? Well, I actually, you know, the, the opportunity I saw for a lot of people. So, you know, I, I already saw that opportunity towards the higher end of the category uh, when I was at Estee Lauder. And I, I, I you know, try to steer, um, you know, the company in that direction um, with success, I would say, which made me very, very happy. Mm-hmm. I think the decision to go on onto my own uh, adventure is not necessarily, and I have to be very honest with you, was not necessarily at first, you know, the, um, oh, I saw, I see an opportunity and I'm going to fill the gap, you right. know. It was not a marketing approach. It was not a, necessarily a business approach. It was much more of a, a personal journey. Uh, it was much more the desire to express something um, that I had deep inside of me the desire to connect with people on, um, you know, a platform that was important to me. Um, so I would say there was a little bit of an ego trip, Scott. You know, <laughs> that's okay. But at the, you know, you don't put your name on a bottle if there's not a little bit of that ego trip. Right, exactly. But but um, but once the 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 brand was formed creatively, that ego trip, if you will, was over. What was very important to me was. What can I do? What is my brand capable of doing so that it makes sense, so that it brings something uh, to people? And it's not just an exercise in vanity. And, um, and so for me, it was very important that through the product, I could offer um, a moment of escape, um, a moment uh, for oneself a way for people to be able to express their personality. And it's not just words. We have things that help that. Um, uh, products that could really tangibly bring you well-being. And it's not just words. We do just that. And um, what I would say, Scott, is that, you know, I'm, I know I don't know how to do a lot of things. I know I will not necessarily impact 
um, dramatically the course of the universe. You know, I'm not a brain surgeon. I can't save lives. I'm not a multi-billionaire that can impact, you know, the fate of education or what else. But if I can bring a smile to people's face and a moment of peace in a world that has become so chaotic, then I have done a little bit uh, of a good thing, you know? And the timing was interesting. You launched in 2019, right around the time of COVID. So how did COVID affect it? Well, you know, I mean, it was the worst timing ever. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, it was very um, interesting because we launched and we were five months into the marketplace when uh, the world shut down. Um, so enough time to exist, not enough time to... Uh, fundamentally have met, uh, you know, your consumer. Right. And so um, the period was very complicated because when you launch a line, you need the uh, capacity to connect with people and tell your story. And when it is a line of perfume, you need to connect with people and have them smell your story. When there's no physical space and you just rely on online, it's pretty complicated to have people smell your products. Um, So basically we had to shift a little bit the way we're doing things. And um, we shifted, you know, really the efforts towards online and we developed a pretty comprehensive um, system of sampling, Um, you know, um, samples as they are, or um, a discovery set that could help you discover a few fragrances and then, you would be reimbursed on this discovery set if you bought a bottle. And then also to help people curate the collection, I basically created what I call the personality test, which is a test that is um, rooted in what we call the science of correspondence between the senses. And what it is really, uh, Scott, in a nutshell, is that you might have a hard time saying what you want in a fragrance because we don't have the vocabulary, because we don't have the expertise, but it will be much easier for you to say what colors you like, what food you like to eat, what music you like to listen to, et cetera, et cetera. And there is such a thing called the correspondence between the senses So if you like certain colors, if you like certain sensation, if you like certain music or certain food, we can connect the dot and define what will be the fragrance family that you are most likely to like as well. And so we could curate the collection to three or four fragrances that then would be easy to try. So that's what we've done during the pandemic. Did you find that consumers during the pandemic were more in of a discovery mode or were they looking to brands that they were just familiar with and just wanted to anchor themselves and things that, that remind them of better days? What, what no, in finding? general, I think that what has happened, as I said, the category of perfume exploded because people realized that it was a pick-me-up, if you will, and they enjoyed it and they enjoyed the effect that fragrance had on them but they would turn to things they knew before. So you saw a real, real growth on the classic brands and the brand that were there um, prior to the pandemic. Um, For new brands, it was a teeny bit more complicated because the discovery process was more difficult. What I would say though, 
in, in our case, there was something pretty amazing that happened. And I think it's that the message of the brand, which is really to bring sunshine for the senses and the soul. So some element of hedonism, but at the same time, rooted in humanism and generosity and respect. And that message of escape to the Mediterranean, of generosity, of allowing people to express themselves, um, was actually resonating well prior to the pandemic, but was really resonating amazingly well during the pandemic and post-pandemic. And we also have that great connection to nature. And I think that too has really transformed, if you will, the relationship we have with, with consumers because this connection to nature has become, in my opinion, one of the fundamentals post-COVID. And the volume of new fragrance launches has certainly increased in recent years. And it seems, you know, every other celebrity is bringing out their own perfume. So what is it about your brand that sets it apart from the rest of the market? You know, it would be great if some other people could answer that. I think that, um, I think, again, it's it's really um, the integrity that we put in the, in, in the way that we do our perfume. I think that overall, the fact that the, the perfumes are anchored in um, nature. Uh, we use a lot of natural ingredients and natural ingredients do very specific things for you. One, and it's basic and it sounds stupid, but it's true. If you use a lot of natural ingredients, you will smell nature in the bottle and you will have the connection to nature. And natural ingredients create a kind of an aura around you that let you breathe free. It is not heavy. It is not overwhelming. Um, it is not thick. Uh, it, it lets you breathe in and out in a very pleasant, comfortable way. The other thing that natural do is that they leave and bloom on your skin. And so as you wear a perfume that has a lot of ingredients that come from nature, suddenly there's going to be... Um, a chemistry with your own skin, creating a very unique rendition that will never smell alike on someone else. And so this appropriation, if you will, of a scent that becomes truly your signature scent is something you can do with a fragrance that's filled with natural. You can't do it with a fragrance that contains a lot of synthetics. I have nothing against synthetic except a few of them that I believe really block your breathing. But um, but naturals really have that magic with your own skin. Uh, and then because I use a ton of natural in a ton, you know, no pun intended, I use a lot <laughs> of natural ingredients in my, in my perfumes. Uh, because I do that, I, I, you know, from the get-go, we had a philosophy of making sure that all of those natural ingredients would be ethically sourced and sustainably source as much as possible so that we would not deplete the resources of the planet and that we would take care of the farmers that are harvesting those ingredients for us. And who are you trying to target? And has that changed since you launched a few years ago? You know, I have a pretty loose uh, approach to targeting because we're talking about luxury brand here. We're talking about something that... Um, is 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 you know very high end. I, my my 
point of view on this at this stage of the game, you know, we just launched with a very small brand, is that, um, you know, we're, we're giving a message. Um, we're giving a message. We're explaining what we're trying to achieve. We're explaining how we're doing what we're doing. And, um, and obviously, I'm going to I'm going to talk to people that are interested in fragrance. I'm not going to talk to people that are interested and are buying this kind of high-end fragrance. But more than that, it's pretty loose. You know, um, there's, you know, my fragrances are all genderless. You know, you, if you like it, it's yours. Mm -hmm. um, we talk to both Americans, European, Middle Eastern, you know. Um, the the beauty of of building a business today, you don't have to be necessarily everywhere from a distribution perspective, but through the messaging that you have on social media, you can talk to a lot of people and start a conversation in a lot of different places. And you said the scents are inspired by your childhood home of the Cote d'Azur and the lifestyle mm -hmm. there. With that in mind, how did you approach the creation of the fragrance with your perfumers? Well, basically, you know, all of those fragrances are truly inspired by the Mediterranean and more specifically the south of France. So they are all telling a story, a moment, a sensation that truly belong to that region. And so to create it, that sensation, that moment is also linked to, let's say, a core natural ingredient. And then around that core natural ingredient, we are wrapping it into something that becomes absolutely beautiful. For example, Noir de Mai is a play on word um, about the rose de Mai. Mm -hmm. The rose de Mai rose, if you will, is the rose that grows in Grasse only and blooms in May only, hence the name Rose de Mai. Um, this rose is absolutely magnificent. It is so beautiful that when you smell it, you smell not only the, the rose, obviously, the flower, but you're going to have inflection of the earth. You're going to have inflection of greenness, greenery. You're going to have an inflection of dewiness, you know, like the dew in the morning. Mm -hmm. You're going to have an inflection of wood. You're going to have an inflection of fruit. You have the entire gamut of nature encompassed in that rose. And so for me, I didn't want to you know, I wanted to create that moment when we harvest the rose because that rose is harvested at dawn because the rose is too fragile to be harvested when the sun is too hot. So you have to wake up at 4 a.m. and between 5 a.m. and 9 a.m. you harvest the rose in the month of May and then you have one hour to take it to the center of extraction. So that moment of, you know, the rising sun um, and the dew on the petals and you have your feet on the ground and your hands are grabbing those petals. There's something extraordinarily sensual and sensorial about it. I wanted to capture that. And at the same time, because this rose is so exceptional, I didn't want to put any other flowers around it. So we treated it, um, you know, in a very dark way. We added notes of patchoulis and amber and moss to give it a little bit of a rock and roll attitude, if you will. That's the story about Noir de Mai. And when you smell it, you will feel it. Sexy Garrigue, you know, the Garrigue is the forest that is um, uh, off the coast of the Mediterranean. Why is it called Sexy Garrigue? It's because that forest is beaten by the sun, day in and day out. And the sun is so hot 
that basically it infuses the rock with that heat. And the only time that you can really walk in that garrigue is really after sundown, you know, or at the late hours of the afternoon, sun is, is stopping its beating on the earth. And suddenly, as the sun quiets down, that heat that came from the rock is coming back. And with it, you know, the plants starting to exhale. So you have a lot of aromatic plants and plants that give you what we call cislabdanum, which is a resin that feels like amber. And suddenly you have like that heat coming out of the of the land. And it is so hot, hot, not in the sense of, you know, temperature, hot in the sense of sensuality, that it is a moment that is calling for sin, you know. So that's why sexy garig is called that way. And so every fragrance tells a story like that. You know, there seems to be a big niche trend that has penetrated the fashion and beauty industries, one that sees millennial and Gen Z consumers seeking out products that can serve as vehicles of self-expression. So how is that benefiting your collection? The collection was always about self-expression. So the way that we've created our fragrances, again, because of the high content of natural ingredients, the fragrances will never smell the same way on you, on me, on your wife, on your friend. You know, it, it really is a unique rendition because of the chemistry with skin. And then to accentuate, if you will, this idea of uniqueness, we created the concept of what we call booster fragrances. So each of my fragrance is a balance between luminosity in the aura around you and sensuality on skin. They all have that, even though the, the, the scents are very different, they all have both luminosity and sensuality. What we've done with the booster fragrances is that we have two fragrances, Eau du Jour and Eau de la Nuit, that can be worn alone or apply as a layer to any signature. And so Eau du Jour will reinforce the luminosity and Eau de la Nuit will reinforce the sensuality. And so you can, as a wearer of the fragrance, fine-tune a little bit the signature, either because you want to have your own or because you love the signature, but if you go out with friends or do some, uh, you know, uh, fitness, you might want it to be a little fresher. And if you go out at night, you might want it a little darker. And so it allows you to fine tune according to the season, the moment, your own mood um, and, and, and your own personality. So that was always part of the brand. Then with the personality test, we really encourage people to find the right perfume for them, not a perfume that is talked about on social media or on, you know, um, various platform, but just really the one that is good for them. So packaging and marketing are a big part of creating a new fragrance. How are you approaching these two areas? So pretty much a, a lot of focus on design. I would say that, you know, when you call yourself a luxury brand, A, the most important thing is that your product itself is absolutely, absolutely second to none, the best product that is existing out there. So the quality of our juice, honestly, it's, it's, it's spectacular. Um, then with the bottle, I wanted to offer people a beautiful object that they could keep and cherish a long time. So the design of the bottle is done in such a way that when you hold it in your hand, it's never sharp. You know, the, the bottle is a mix of round and square. So we have both 
the female and the male element in it. You have different type of textures, smooth and rough. So it plays with your, with your sense of touch. And then the bottle is also refillable because a beautiful object, a luxury object, should not be thrown in the garbage when it's over. And so with the refill uh, aspect of, of the brand, you can then buy a refill and you know fill again your bottle over and over again and the refill bottles are in turns recyclable. So we're trying to have also some elements uh, in the brand, both from a social responsibility point of view or from a sustainability uh, point of view that try to go into the right direction. And given how perfume seems to be profoundly linked to culture, social media had a great impact on the fragrance industry today. How are you using social media to engage with your audiences? You know, I'm not sure I'm doing the best job I could do because, um, Scott, I'm not a native, you know. Um, so social media was never part of my upbringing. So you have to learn to use it. And as a person, I'm, I'm usually very private. I love to tell people stories. I love to educate around the craft. I love to be of of service, if you will, um, and, and, you know, create that bridge between the knowledge that I have and the uh, desire for understanding that people have. But I'm not one that's going to necessarily very easily talk about myself. I don't think it's interesting. I don't think that, you know, and I think that sometimes social media could become a real pollution uh, for your daily life. So everything I do on social media, I try to make sure that it brings something meaningful to people either through an educational purpose or a service um, purpose. Um, but really, um, it's been a little challenging for me to uh, use it um, more than I used to. And it is very important because people are craving um, the sense of authenticity, and that I understand. And they want to be able to sift through all of those proposals that you're talking about, the number of launches that happen on a yearly basis. And the only way that they can really sift through it is hearing it from the mouth of the people who are behind it. And, and that to me is important, you know. Um, so I'm trying to do a little bit more of that uh, so I can connect with people and, and clearly explain to them why we're doing what we're doing so they can then make a decision uh, based on on better understanding. So how do customers discover you? Social media, for sure. Traditional um, really public relation. Um, the presence of the brand in beautiful, um, uh, you know, stores. Uh, we are present, you know, beyond our e-commerce platform mm -hmm. in beautiful, beautiful stores that, that trusted the brand from the get-go. So in the U.S., um, we're at Bergdorf Goodman, Neiman Marcus. We are in a few beautiful perfumery shops around the country. In London, we're at Liberty. We're opening Harrods. In France, we're at Printemps and so on and so on and so That's on. That's great. And I think it's important because those are what we call, uh, you know, flagships. So those are iconic stores where people go when they want to discover something new. And, uh, and for us, it, the, those partnerships have been extraordinarily important. 
And this past spring, you launched an aroma collection, which you're positioning as perfume therapy to improve well-being. The whole smell good, feel good therapeutic trend has gained traction the last few years to combat these tense times that we're living in. What is the idea behind this collection? Yeah, this is, uh, Scott, one of the things that I believe is one of the most important things that I've done in my life. And as you know, I had a long career in perfume Um, because this line is literally pushing the boundaries of traditional perfumery. Uh, This line sits literally at the crossroads between perfumery and aromatherapy. So the idea behind this line is using the natural ingredients that I've been using all my life, but not just for their olfactive beauty, but also for the benefits that those plants can procure. And so what we've done here is starting with a core formula that is built, that is created, that is composed using the principle and the ingredients of aromatherapy. And that core formula, for the lack of a better word, is almost like a prescription that we've created with a doctor in aromatherapy to alleviate some of the levers of stress. Then around that core, we built around it um, a formula that is only natural, okay? So you can continue to call yourself aromatherapy, but makes that core formula beautiful to wear. So you're gonna wear those, those products like a perfume, but as you wear them during the day, you will start feeling benefits and you don't know why you feel a little bit more joyful or a little bit more at peace or a little bit more centered, but it's because the fragrances truly are impacting the level of energies in your body, truly impacting your mental state, truly impacting your physiology. And so much so that we wanted to measure those benefits and those results. And we did a study with a group of neuroscientists, and it shows that basically when you wear and smell those fragrances, the positive interaction of your brain is uplifted by up to 58%, which is enormous. And so that's why we call it perfume therapy, because we have the results, the tangible results to show about it. What what has been the consumer feedback so far? Amazing. And you know, this is a teeny bit more complicating than just smelling five fragrances in a store. You have to ask the consumer, the person in front of you to take a moment to really smell deeply those fragrances, and you can smell them deeply. I would not say that any fragrance you can be, you know, you can do that. But with aroma, you can because it's completely natural um, to really experience what the fragrance does when you smell it. And in fact, those fragrances are going to travel in your body and they're going to have a, a true impact on your mental uh, well-being and on your physiological well-being. So when you were at Estee Lauder, you worked on many fashion designers, Mm -hmm. Donna Karen, Tommy Hilfiger, and others to take the DNA of their brands and translate it into a fragrance. Mm -hmm. So what did you learn from that experience that you've applied to creating your own fragrances? Um, You know, when, when you work on behalf of a designer, you have to put aside your own personality. And you have to um, dive pretty deeply in the world of that designer and understand the emotional content 
that led those designer to express themselves the way they do. You can't stop at the stylistic approach. Uh, you have to really go deeper and then express that emotional content in a different category. That's the role that you have. You have to become the steward of a brand in the category that you know better than anyone else. When it comes to your own brand, the journey is much more personal. And so you have to probably be very honest about what you want to say, how you want to create those products, because the how is also telling uh, your value system. Um, and you have to never forget that you're not doing it as an exercise in vanity, but you have to bring something to the world that the world wants or need. Um, and so you have to understand the context in which you're doing this. And I think that with Aroma, quite frankly, I feel I have I have done that exercise, you know, that, you know, this those fragrances that truly bring you more joy, truly bring you peace of mind, truly bring you balance and strength um, in a moment when the world has become so polarized, so chaotic, so uncertain. Again, you're not going to solve the problems of the world, but if you can give people the energy to take on their day and the pleasure of take on the day, then, then really that's a positive thing to do in, in, you know, in your life. So looking forward, what do you think the outlook is for the fragrance industry? Well, I think that the fragrance industry is having a moment of, uh, you know, golden era. Mm -hmm. um, because again, with COVID, people have understood that fragrance is an amazing way of bringing well-being to the table, either because just simply they bring you pleasure like any perfume will do, or with brands like Aroma really going far into uh, the well-being journey. So that is part now of the routine of people around the world. So you have that enormous demand for any product that will bring a moment of well-being and fragrance is part of it. At the same time, you have also um, the desire to make your home a sanctuary. So you have also an incredible platform, an incredible growth movement for fragrances that are for your home, um, for anything your home. And it's not just for candles, you know, that I'm talking about. Maybe mm -hmm. you want to have something in your shower. Maybe you want to have something in your laundry. Maybe you want to have something, you know, that changes with your mood that you can command from a distance. So there's a whole other aspect, if you will, of scent um, that correspond the way we live and not necessarily correspond who we are as individual. So that to me is very fascinating and interesting. And there's a lot of innovation uh, that can be explored in that category. Um, I also think that there will be another um, a movement in fragrance that will go more into the uniqueness of the individual. And probably the idea of bespoke fragrance is something that I'm starting to explore because I think that's the next chapter for high-end brands. What about your brand? Anything interesting in the next 12 months you can share? So, yeah. So for us, I mean, Aroma is really the big news and we're just starting right. on that journey. So really with something that innovative, that, uh, you know, incredibly 
um, complex in formulation, but at the same time, so incredibly simple to understand as you experience it. Um, and also we did it in a completely sustainable way. So it's I, it's also well-being for you, but also well-being for the planet. It's completely clean and biodegradable, which is not a small victory, you know, in the world of fragrance. So uh, Aroma is a big, big, big chapter for us. The other one I would say is the expansion of the brand um, in different geographies. Mm -hmm. So we've been very busy um, you know, introducing the brand uh, in in other markets, um, you know, um, to basically grow the business and also uh, make sure that we uh, exist outside of our home market. What other markets are you looking to break into that you see a lot of potential? So Europe is one of them. The Middle East is another one. We just started in South Korea as well, where the brand is actually resonating quite well. And I think it's the luminosity aspects of the brand that the um, Korean really love. Mm -hmm. So today we're in 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 the UK, in the US, uh, we're in Italy, in Germany, we're signing with Holland, we're looking into Middle East, we're looking into uh, more countries in Asia, we're looking into India as well. So it's it's super exciting, because every time, you know, people react slightly differently to the story of the brand, they all understand the story of the brand, they understand the provenance of the south of France, which is such a region that people know or desire to know. They understand the connection to nature. They understand the idea of personalization. And with Aroma, they really are super positive about the idea of a perfume that would bring tangible benefits. Uh, but, you know, the, 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 the taste levels are different. The cultures are different. So not every juice is necessarily the one that a region will have, you know. So we are curating the collection also for um, the local um, tastes and cultures, which it's super interesting to do. Veronique Abai, founder and CEO of Veronique Abai. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Best of luck with everything. Thank you, Scott.